Hi, trendsetters. Welcome to another episode of That Trendy Therapist. I really missed you guys. I just got back this week from Sicily. I was there with my family on vacation and I'm super jet lagged, but I am awake enough to do this because I really am excited about today's podcast episode. I've been really thinking long and hard about this podcast because It's something that I really want to get back into more regularly. It has taken a backseat recently because of the book, which will be out in a month. Um, I'm going to announce the exact date in the coming weeks. I'm just waiting for the green light to announce, but it'll be here in a month. So that said, I wanted to start to make some content around some of the topics that I covered in my book, but also on this space in a longer format. And one of those things is my eating disorder that I had back when I was 16. It was about 16 to 18 years old in my life. I had anorexia nervosa. And I talk about it in my book, um, not in specifics in terms of numbers or behaviors or things like that, but I talk about it and I wanna talk about what really helped me recover specifics because I think, you know, I've heard a lot of content around eating disorders and recovery and things like that, but not very much about the specifics on what actually helps people recover beyond just the fact of go to treatment, get a nutritionist, do those things. Um, You can do all of those things and none of them might help. And that might sound pessimistic, but it's also realistic. And as a provider, as somebody that is a therapist who specializes in eating disorders, I can say firsthand that, yes, I got immense help and recovered hugely through my therapy and my one-on-one therapy. However, it can't only be that. There are other components to recovery aside from just attending therapy weekly. Um, And even that's not enough if you're really struggling with an eating disorder. So we're going to get into all of it. But um, just a disclaimer for this episode, of course, like any other content regarding eating disorders, I want to put a trigger warning that if you're somebody that might be triggered by potential conversation around eating disorder topic in general, behaviors, I'm not going to get into numbers or specifics, but just in case this might trigger you, just click out. Um, And yeah, let's just dive in. So this is in no particular order. Um, I will preface this by saying that my recovery looked like this in terms of a timeline. I was diagnosed when I was 16 and I was obviously still in high school. I was a sophomore at that point and I got a few different forms of treatment one of which was day treatment, which was an outpatient treatment um, that I would attend. It was actually during a summer, so I wasn't in school anyway at that point. And I would go in a few days a week to a day treatment program and I would get weighed there. I would have a nutritionist there. I would have group therapy there, um, as well as being on a meal plan and having, um, I believe it was lunch there. It might have also been breakfast, but definitely lunch there with all the people at the treatment center. Um, Then I also went to an um, actual inpatient program, which was, for me, it was in a hospital setting. They're all different kinds of inpatient programs, but 
for me, I was in an eating disorder floor within a hospital. Um, so I did that. And then when I got out of that, I was in IOP, which, which is intensive outpatient treatment, which after an inpatient program, usually you don't just step out and go back to your daily life. They try to, you know, wean you down to something that is a next level below that, which would be IOP, which is three nights a week. Um, and you do dinner and you have, you know, the group therapy and all of that. And then, of course, I had my individual therapist throughout this who specialized in eating disorders. Um, I think I began with one therapist that saw me through like the first few years of my eating disorder and recovery, and then I transitioned to another therapist. So that is kind of like the different components of my treatment. And I'm going to say this first and foremost, there is no one recipe, one key, one epiphany for treatment or for recovery. That goes with anything. Um, I firmly believe that recovery is possible as somebody that has recovered and gone through it myself and who helps others on their own journeys to recovery. And um, however, it looks different for everyone and that's something to know upfront. So this isn't a magical formula. It's really just things that for me were helpful that hopefully will help you or resonate with you in some way on your journey. So one thing is thinking of my body as a whole instead of individual parts like I did when I had an eating disorder. So when you have an eating disorder, a lot of the time you will be focusing and hyper-focusing on very specific areas of your body. That will look different for everyone, but that could be your stomach, that could be your upper thighs, that could be your arms, whatever it might be, usually you are not thinking about the wholeness of your being. You are hyper-focused on individual parts that you see as flawed, that you want to change. And you might have body dysmorphia, meaning that you might see yourself differently than how other people see you, and it's not an adequate reflection of how you come across to others. Or you just might be hyper-focusing because like eating disorders are, it's really not about the body or the food. It's just a way that we're fixating on something to kind of focus on that and not the other underlying issues that are really what we need to be dealing with in recovery. So what I kind of noticed myself, this wasn't something that someone taught me. It was just something that I noticed that I kind of moved through in recovery is I moved out of that thinking of my body as different parts and started to integrate them into a whole. And how I did that was really just noticing and becoming aware when I was kind of maybe scrutinizing one part or hyper-focusing on one part of my body, I would notice that, become aware of it, and then I would see if I could pull back and actually visualize myself, like viewing myself, you know, from a bird's eye perspective and seeing my body fully for what it was. And Then expressing gratitude, like that comes later, but definitely having that component of gratitude for your body and knowing how much your body actually does for you. Um, And that, you know, might not feel like it's even possible until well into your recovery, but certainly noticing when you are hyper-focusing on certain body parts and trying to pull back and noticing that you're, you know, in doing so, that's kind of like, you know, a surgeon focusing on one part of your body. That's not a natural way to sort of view yourself. And it's certainly not a loving, caring way to view your body as, as the home that you're living in. 
So that is a shift that was really helpful for me. Next is channeling all of my energy that went into the eating disorder into something else. So redirection. I realized that, you know, a lot of times you're going into these treatment programs and they're like, all right, just, you know, we're going to get you through to the other side. You're going to recover. But what does that really look like? And I myself, as somebody that likes to picture my future and and know what I'm moving towards, I was thinking, well, you know, why would I want to let go of this, the known, to move into some unknown? I don't know what that's going to look like. What do I do with all of this time and energy, all of this thinking that was going into food and calories and weight and all of that stuff? What do I do with it? And I noticed that they didn't really teach you that in treatment. Like, they didn't really focus on what to redirect towards. Um, And I found that that was a really, really, really helpful component for me is thinking about where I could shift my thoughts, time, and energy towards. And that will look different for everyone. But for me, I looked back at what did I love doing before this eating disorder? What was my inner child all about? Um, A lot of that was, you know, my loves, writing, um, you know, being somebody that spoke my mind and was, you know, working hard towards helping other people. Like eventually then I became a therapist to help others on their journeys. You know, I am somebody that really feels like when you create meaning out of something, it really helps to move forward. And that was something that really helped me when I decided, okay, this all didn't happen for no reason. Like this, there was a reason that this happened and there are things that I learned from it and I'm going to take this and, you know, help me move forward in, in an even better way than I would have if none of it ever happened. And a lot of that is just perspective, but that is a lot, a large part of recovery is, is the perspective. So I realized, you know, if I was going to move forward, I needed to know what I could think about. What what was I going to be spending my time thinking? Because that's a huge, I think, part of the shock for a lot of people when they start to recover is they have so much more time and space in their mind because they're not thinking about all the things that they were thinking about with the eating disorder. And if you're prepared for that though, and if you know that it's going to feel very scary and different, you could at least prepare and and plan ahead and think about some other things that you can fill your time with. That could just be spending time thinking about family and loved ones and friends and being more social or whatever it looks like for you. There's no right or wrong, but I think just really focusing on the fact that there's going to have to be a life after and what does that really look like? Like really visualizing what recovery is going to look like for you. Another thing that was really, really helpful in my recovery was thinking of the eating disorder as a separate voice from my own healthy voice. So some of you might be familiar with this concept if you've been in treatment for an eating disorder. We call obviously the eating disorder ED for eating disorder. And as some of you may be adept enough to pick up on, my initials are also ED. Emma Dale DeMar, Emma DeMar, however you want to dice it, my initials are ED. Which was really interesting because in in treatment, we were tasked to write letters back and forth or dialogues between ourselves and the eating disorder. So mine would be Ed versus Ed, which was really cool. It was a cool concept because it was sort of like my healthy voice versus my eating disorder, just battling it out, seeing which one was going to win. Um, and even if your initials aren't Ed, you can do this. You can really start to separate it out because I think that 
something that is difficult when someone has an eating disorder is to view the eating disorder as a separate entity. But it's really, really important because the eating disorder will disguise itself as your best friend and it'll act as if it's doing, it's telling you the right thing. It's, it's taking care of you. It has your best interests at heart. And if you're not really, you know, quick with it and you, and you don't really catch that early on, you're going to start to really believe that this, this eating disorder has your best interests and you're going to confuse it for your healthy voice. And a huge part of recovery is really being able to not only separate the two voices and view the eating disorder as an intruder, an imposter, not somebody that has your best interests, but to make the healthy voice stronger. It's to strengthen that voice and make that healthy voice louder so that eventually it wins out. So I would actually do this. I would write letters between the eating disorder voice and myself. Um, I would write a dialogue between myself and the eating disorder. That could be something about, you know, food. Let's say I had a upcoming thing that I was, I was worried about, a meal. And I could write about, you know, the dialogue that I was facing between myself and the eating disorder and what each part was telling me. And it's just really helpful to see it on the page and to see that they really are separate, distinct voices with distinct motivations. And it's really important to understand where each of these voices are coming from and what their motivations really are for you so that you can kind of figure out which you want to align with. Four is taking the judgment out of it. When you are in recovery, you're going to have to focus on things that are going to make you very uncomfortable, such as triggers. Everyone's triggers are different. Your trigger could be that friend that you always compare yourself to, or it could be something that gives you a lot of shame. Um, Maybe it has to do with your appearance and you're somebody that feels like that shouldn't matter to you. Maybe I shouldn't, you know, maybe you're telling yourself, why do I care about my appearance? It shouldn't be about that. Well, guess what? It is about that, if that's what it's about. And when you take the judgment out of it and just allow yourself to see your triggers for what they are, it's much easier to actually work on them. If you're just going to lie to yourself and say, well, that doesn't bother me and that doesn't bother me and that shouldn't or should or shouldn't in yourself, then you're never going to get anywhere. The fact is, recovery does require you to be extremely painfully vulnerable. And it requires you to kind of admit to yourself things that you'd rather never admit. Um, But that is exactly the work that needs to be done in order to propel yourself forward. So it's almost like pulling back and thinking about things more objectively and seeing them for what they are and really noticing these are the triggers, like it or not, this this is what affects me and allowing yourself to feel the feelings, whether it's shame or anger or whatever it is to arise and to deal with whatever those things are. Five is thinking of recovery as a choice. It's a choice that you make not once, not twice, but continually every single day. And that might sound exhausting, and it is. Eventually, it will become second nature, and you won't be constantly having to make this choice. But early on in recovery, you must be vigilant because the eating disorder is a sneaky thing. And right when you start to feel like things are good and you get comfortable and you feel safe, it's going to creep back up. And that's just how it is. And if you can anticipate that, it will make things a lot easier. 
Recovery is a choice. Having an eating disorder, not a choice. It's an illness. It's a disorder. We don't choose to have it. But you must believe that it's a choice to recover. Otherwise, you never will. You must believe that recovery is possible. There has to be that belief there. And that's something for me that I actually always believed. There was always that piece of me, no matter how sick I got, that believed that I was going to recover. Not only that recovery was possible, that I knew that this was just a blip in my life. And you might say, well, okay, that's, that's great, but I don't believe that for myself. But that's something that you must find a piece of yourself, even if it's one little glimmer that believes that you can do this. And, and, to, and to do that, you can think back to other things that you've overcome in your life. Um, and you can visualize. I think the power of visualization is enormous, especially, I mean, I'm a very visual person. So for me, that works. Maybe for a lot of you, it does. But really visualizing yourself as a recovered individual, thriving and looking back and realizing how much stronger that you are and how much you've overcome and learned from this period in your life. Seeing it, again, from that bird's eye perspective. Um, But yes, recovery is a choice and it's something that you have to permit yourself to do. And I talk about this in my book. There's a whole chapter about giving yourself permission. And you must give yourself permission because anyone else can tell you to recover or to eat or to, you know, the time is now. You're never going to do it until you make that choice, until you permit yourself to go for it. So the power of choice is so strong and you must choose it for yourself and allow yourself to choose it and know you deserve it. And that maybe is something you don't feel right now and not something that you could definitely work on in therapy, but that is, it's a key. So another thing is how you respond to setbacks and setbacks in recovery are inevitable. Recovery is not linear. I'll say that again. Recovery is not linear. And they tell you this all the time in in any sort of treatment. Because many people naively think that it is linear. That once you start recovering, there you go. It's it. But it doesn't look like that. And when you think it looks like that, and then you have a setback, which is inevitable, and you start to then tell yourself, oh, this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm back to square one that is when you self-sabotage because you're not back to square one. But if you tell yourself that you are, then okay, you're giving yourself permission to just go back to square one. However, if you can, when you have the setback, remind yourself, okay, I'm having this moment. I'm having the setback. It is not back to square one. It does not erase all of the work that I have done thus far to get myself to this point. And being gentle, being graceful with yourself and recognizing it as all a part of recovery. Everyone has setbacks on their journey. It's just part of, it's part of the beast and they will get less frequent and less severe over time, but it is really in how you respond to these setbacks that, that will determine the nature of how you're going to move forward. So look out for that process, the setback with your treatment team by yourself, journal about it. I mean, I think I wrote this down, but journaling throughout, I mean, that's for me as somebody that loves to write, that was really important for me. But there were a lot of other people in, in my treatment center that they weren't writers ever, but journaling was also a really big piece for them. So it could be really helpful. It's worth a shot. Um, but processing the setback and figuring out why it happened and how you can use it to move forward. 
Um, Seven is lots of daily check-ins. So that's really just coming back to yourself. It's seeing how you feel before, after a meal, sometimes during a meal. You can get up and go to the bathroom if you're at a meal out in public and having a difficult time and you just need to splash some water on your face and take a look in the mirror and remind yourself what you're doing and why you're recovering. That is part of it. You have to be your own biggest cheerleader throughout this process. Eight is picturing your younger self. So I love inner child's work and that was a big part of treatment for me was going back to my inner child and reminding myself of who I really am at my core before the world, before everybody, you know, the world kind of gave me its messages about eating disorders and body image and all these things that we're faced with. I had my truth and I lived that and I was confident and I, and I am at my core. I'm a confident individual. So I needed to get back to that inner child of mine. And one way that I did this was to actually get a picture of myself when I was younger and to look at it. And this is something that is very emotional. If you actually do this exercise of looking at this picture and then talking to your younger self and actually saying to yourself, I have an eating disorder and I'm not treating you well and I'm harming you and and visualize actually and saying these things to yourself when you were younger, I'm sure you're going to be flooded with emotion, but that's, that's exactly what the exercise is because it is so painful to think about telling your younger innocent self who never asked for any of that to, to tell them all the harm that you're doing. And, um, it's it's a really powerful exercise so i would definitely encourage you to do that and you could also write a letter to your younger child and talk about what you've been going through and what you want to do and achieve and all the life you have yet to live um and remind yourself why you want to recover for that younger child um so i wrote that uncovering really what led me to therapy to the eating disorder to begin with and working on those things was a huge part of my individual therapy. So I talked about this before, but eating disorders are not about food at all. Um, it's a coping mechanism that we utilize to try to solve an underlying set of issues. So it's never just about one thing. And in therapy, a big part of recovery is really to work on those underlying issues, solve the puzzle of how everything kind of came together and led you to where you were. Um, I wrote for 11, keep reminding yourself why you chose recovery and write it down and be specific because it's very easy to lose sight of why you started. Um, And I think that that is just something that goes with anything, like any journey you're setting out on, it's really important to remind yourself of why. So again, you can write that down, but it's something that you should come back to and remind yourself, this is why I'm recovering. This is what I want out of recovery. And this is why I deserve to recover. So I wrote to be careful about generalized statements that can hold you back. I oftentimes have heard people say like, I'll never recover or recovery is possible for everyone, but not me. In order to recover, you have to, again, believe that recovery is possible for you. You're not going to recover if you don't believe that. So if you're telling yourself and we hear everything we say to ourselves, oh, I can't, I can't recover, but everybody else can, well, then you're not going to do it and you're setting yourself up for failure. So be very careful of those statements and try and recognize where they're coming from. Sometimes those statements just come from hearing other people say that or feeling discouraged or 
feeling like you don't deserve recovery, but really getting specific on like, why am I telling myself that? And do I actually believe that? Um, And is there any way I can reframe this for myself so that I don't talk myself out of it before I even begin? So 13 is you have to be willing to do the scary thing. It's never not going to be scary. It's never going to be easy. If you're waiting for it to be easy, you'll be waiting forever. Recovery is the hardest fucking thing you will ever do. It's not supposed to be easy. So if you're waiting for it to get easier or, oh, I'll recover in six weeks or I'll recover next year or it'll be easier when, that is all the eating disorder talking. You must recognize it for what it is. It is an excuse, really, wrapped in a bow. It is never going to be easier, no matter what is going on in your life, no matter who's around you, what's going on, because again, it all comes down to you doing that inner work. So as long as you're you, which you're always going to be, it's going to be however it will be, no matter when it is. So watch out for those excuses. Be realistic in your goals. So recovery happens over time. I actually remember thinking at one point very early on that it really was going to happen like an epiphany and one day I would just wake up and like run downstairs and get a donut and orange juice and call it a day. That never happened. That was not how recovery looked and it doesn't look that way. Even if you have a moment like that, it's not just like from there on out, it's going to look like that. Um, So being realistic about the fact that Usually it happens over time in moments. You will start to realize, oh, wow, like over the last couple of weeks, I've noticed that I've been more consistent with, I don't know, eating breakfast or not weighing myself or what have you. Um, that's more realistic in terms of how it will look. So again, don't set yourself up for failure by thinking it's going to be this whole epiphany and I'm waiting for my epiphany. That is not how it looks. So be realistic about your goals. 15, you must stay vigilant. The eating disorder is very sneaky. It will come up with excuses. It will pretend that it, again, that it has your best interests or that, you know, now it's different. It's not different. It never has your best interests. You must stay on top of it and be hyper vigilant, especially in the early days of recovery. So 16 is, again, getting to know that voice of your eating disorder. Learn the goals of the eating disorder. Like, what does it really want for you? Um, It doesn't want the same things for you that your healthy voice does. So actually maybe listing out the motivations between your healthy voice and your eating disorder voice um, and figuring out, like, maybe the purpose of the eating disorder is to shrink yourself or become less of yourself or quiet or numb yourself, control, whatever these things are. Really think about what is it actually wanting for me and what is the end goal here? Usually, it's not going to be a good end goal for the eating disorder. So, 17, it's going to feel weird for a while. So, easing into that. There is a certain level of acceptance that you must have around recovery in that it's going to feel messy. It's not going to feel, it's not going to feel great. It's going to feel really uncomfortable for a while. And the more that you can work on that acceptance piece and realize that that's normal it's a normal part of recovery and that's what everyone goes through when they're going through recovery is helpful just to have that realistic mindset. And lastly is being your own cheerleader. I kind of mentioned that before, but giving yourself lots of pep talks, talking to yourself again, like the way you would talk to your inner child, 
really talking through these difficult moments with yourself and checking in. Of course, it's always great to do that with loved ones and with your therapist and all of that, but really having those moments where you are cheering yourself on, um, that's really how you're going to strengthen that inner voice of yours. And lastly, I just want to answer this question that I thought maybe some of you might be having, which is how do you know when you've recovered? Since it's not just like one epiphany and it doesn't just happen in one day, it's not just wrapped into a tidy bow. So you really know it in a visceral way. It's not in one moment. It's not suddenly. You'll just begin to realize that you've been treating yourself better and taking good care of yourself and that you feel more embodied, more cohesive, and more whole. You don't feel triggered as often. You find yourself thinking about food and body image less, decrease in your behaviors, whatever those look like. That's really how you know you've recovered. It's how you respond to things, the triggers. It's from day to day, how are you getting through? How are you speaking to yourself? All of those things are gonna tell you where you're at with your recovery. So I hope that helps. I wanted to make this episode because I think a lot of us really could benefit from some real perspective on recovery and what it looks like. And I'm sure a lot of these things you could take, not only just for eating disorders, but for other forms of recovery as well. So yeah, I really enjoyed making this episode for you guys. And I would love to hear your thoughts and to talk more about this topic and related topics. So let me know what you guys think. And I hope you guys got something out of this episode. I love you guys, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys.